This series is going to be titled 2020 Vision. How could you not? I talked about this last week. Did you know that having 2020 vision doesn't mean that you have perfect vision? I always thought it did. Nope. What it means is that the average person can see clearly 20 feet away from the Snell and I chart, or similar chart, but distance is only a part of what makes us be able to see, right? In fact, some of you, you can see distance, but you can't see up close. What's that called? You're farsighted. And others can't see distance, but they can see up close. And what's that called? Nearsighted. All right? And then, of course, there are those who can't see color. Not to pick on anybody, except for Mike. I know some of the rest of you are in that same boat. I'm surprised so many people are colorblind. Another thing that, that makes us, our vision, uh, good is our peripheral. Oh, here. I didn't realize how bad mine was till I had half an inch of my eyelids cut off because I'm getting old. And Somebody said, you had cosmetic surgery? No, I had my eyes lifted because I couldn't see anymore. Sure. It worked. <laughs> I can see out here. I can see up here. I can see those fingers doing this right now. I couldn't see that before. Other things that, that are involved are uh, how well you adjust, how you see at night. Anybody struggle with that the older you get? I drive a, a new Silverado. I lease a new Silverado. And the lights, when they're on dim, people think my brights are on. So guess what they do to me all the time? They flash me. That has different connotations today, but I mean with their lights. And I'm sitting there coming at them, and they, they blind me. Now, if I turn mine back on them, they'd be blinded too. So I always just try to do the Christian thing and leave it alone. But I'm telling you what, it takes me like five minutes to readjust after they shine the light on me. Yeah, yeah, fleck them, right. Well, that still blinds them. <laughs> Mary's done her, just fleck them. That has different connotations today too, but we won't go there. As much as vision has all these different parameters to determine how well you see, the same is true in the spiritual realm. How many of you consider spiritual vision to be important? 20% of your hands gone up. The rest of you? Nope. Not me. Again, one of the scriptures that... Uh, really jumped out at me is John 4, 24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in what? Spirit. spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit is not a suggestion. It's a mandate. It's a necessity. Too many people neglect the spirit realm today. They just go through life without even thinking about it. And I want to challenge you as a part of the hope, as assemblies of God, people, a fellowship within the assemblies of God. You know, we're Pentecostal. What does that mean? 
we, I'll just quote Jeff, we're Holy, Holy Ghost crazy. And we are, we should be. Did you know that 30% of the Christians on this planet today are spirit-filled, spirit-led, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call them. They don't all call them the same thing, but what that says to me is God's moving. And the church has realized that we can't do this on our own as much as we try, because we do often try to do it by ourselves, right? But when we do, what is, for me, when I do it on my own, guess what happens? I get in trouble. It always leads to something I don't want. But when he's in it, when he's leading, when he's guiding me, when he's empowering me to do whatever it is he's challenging me to do, things happen for the good. How many could use some of that in your life? And that's what I believe God's saying to this church and to the church. I want to use you. I want you to understand that I have something for you to do. And worshiping in the Spirit is just a part of that. Here's one of the things that I really wanted to point out today. A bigger issue in the church is that too many of our Christian brothers and sisters have a defeated attitude before they even begin. And it was kind of surprising to me because some of the songs they sang today and even what uh, Peggy said lined right up with where I was going today. Too many of us have a defeated attitude when it comes to our faith. And listen, you might sit here and say, well, Pastor Norm, I can't be as spiritual as you are. <laughs> I know. I'm messing with you. You know what? It, it's not about ability. Hear this. It's about obedience. It isn't about my ability. You know, when I step into this pulpit, and you might laugh at this, you might think, well, that's stupid. I still shudder before I come up here. I'm nervous. I had somebody say, oh, I'm not nervous anymore. No, you need to be fearful. <laughs> because you're delivering something of value. And I don't ever want to blow it. Ever. And I know I have. And when I do, I have to repent just like you. And I have to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I ran with that and I shouldn't have. Or I got angry with somebody and I shouldn't have right? I'm just like you. We're not any different. We're all children of God. And there's nothing that separates us other than our obedience. Understand this. When God asks you to do something, he will give you everything you need to get her done. Proof text. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When you do it God's way, he will make sure you have everything you need to get the job done. It's that simple or it's that profound, whichever way you want to look at it. 
Okay. So just as we saw that having 20-20 vision isn't all there is for good eyesight, for visual acuity, <laughs> had to throw that word in there. The same is true in the spirit realm. There are many ways to see into the spirit, right? Some of our people have a better understanding of the Bible than others do. How'd they get there? They studied to show themselves approved, right? Others have a, a better understanding of how God speaks. Sometimes that's because of their Bible knowledge. Other times it's just they're in tune with the Holy Spirit. The more time you spend with God, the better you're going to be able to hear. And he wants you to understand that, that if I were to hang out at Mary's house and live with her 24-7, after about a week, I would know you really well. I would know your habits, your idiosyncrasies, the weird things you do, the great things you do. And the same is true with your God. That he, he wants you to be like him. To carry the torch that he's given you to carry. Now, none of this makes these people any better than the others. Just because they have good, strong Bible knowledge doesn't make them any better than you and me if we don't have that knowledge. There are others in this church who move in the gifts. The Holy Spirit has given them different gifts to operate in, whether it's prophecy, words of wisdom. Maybe you've had some of those people speak over you like that. Does that make them any better Christian? No. It just means that they have taken that step to go after whatever that calling is and they've allowed God to use them with that. And that's really what I'm trying to get across to you. When you see someone moving in the Spirit, it, it can be really easy to go, oh man, I could never do that. Or God will never use me like that. I'm just not that kind of person. Here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit said. Tell my people, I can use you just like I can use them. But there's one thing that you've got to get in your heart and in your mind. One thing that you've got to see. And that is, you have to be available. That's what these other people have done. That's what separates them from you. They have become available to God. They have said, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Lord, here I am. Use me. Is that you? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to change. Acts 10.34, we saw where God spoke to Peter, and, and he actually said, the Lord doesn't show favoritism. So it doesn't matter who you are. You can do whatever God is calling you to do because he doesn't favor one person over another. So the question is again, how available are you?
This is 2020. We just started it. A new decade, a new year, and God wants to use you. Poke your neighbor and say, God wants to use you. And I believe he really does. By the way, I'm going to go into this a lot deeper next week. This week, what I'd like to do is just show you a couple examples from the Bible where the Lord showed people through a dream or a vision what their future was going to look like. And I don't ever want to put the Holy Spirit in a box. So I'm going to be really careful today to say what I'm saying. And that is this. God speaks to all of us differently. You may receive a vision. You may receive a dream. You may read the Scripture, and all of a sudden, it's like God took his highlighter and just went, this is you. Anybody have that happen? He's speaking to you when that happens. There are other ways that he moves. Sometimes he, he will bring two or three witnesses to you to say the same thing. And you can be assured that that's God speaking to you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want anybody here to say, well, if God doesn't speak to me in a dream, I guess I'm not following him. No. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. God speaks however he wants to speak. If he chooses to do something completely different with you, so be it. I'm just telling you that in the Scripture, there are a few places where you kind of have an idea of what God's trying to do, and I wanted to point those out. Recognize this. God wants to do something with us. And Peggy again stole my Scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I had it before you did, I think. It doesn't matter. I'm just glad we both heard from the Lord today. So the question is, have you caught a vision for your life? With this in mind. A big part of having 2020 vision is the concept that God wants to give you meaning for your life, the way that you live. He wants to give you a future that's tangible. You can wrap your arms around it, you can grab it, you can struggle with it, you can hold it up and give him glory. It's not necessarily going to be in the spirit because you're going to bring it into reality. He wants you to know where you're going. Well, Pastor Norm, I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. Hopefully you are. I really do hope you are, all of us. We'll figure that out when we get there. If you put your trust in him, if you're not living a sinful lifestyle, we'll see you there. If you are, repent. Get right with God. Do it his way. Do you have a clue why God made you? Do you have any idea of what God wants to do with your life. The Lord doesn't do anything by mistake or accident. If you think you're an accident, you're not. God has a plan for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a future and a hope. But you have to understand 
what God wants to do. And when God gives a vision for your life, he, or dream, or whatever, he often does it in one of two ways. And, and I think this is kind of important. One, he shows you where to begin, showing you what to do first, but he doesn't always give you the rest of the details. Or, two, he shows you where you're going to end up, but he doesn't show you where to start or fill in the blanks. Anybody been there? With both of these, the Lord expects us to go to him to fill in all the details. And again, my scripture is this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Would you repeat this with me? So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. The next part of this passage talks about God giving the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into that this week. But if you want to study that out, you can. God wants you to be informed. He doesn't want us to go through this life like this. He came to give the blind sight. And we're all blind until we meet Jesus. But once we do, once his spirit lives in us, he gives us the vision for what's to come next. And this is so important, especially for those of us who really haven't understood this concept up to this point. God wants to show you what's coming so that you can prepare for it. If you don't know where you're going, how in the world are you supposed to even begin to prepare? Right? When do we stop relying on the Lord? When do we stop asking? When do we stop knocking? When do we stop seeking? We don't. <laughs> this is important. The Lord wants you and me to be relying upon him forever. Forever. The more I lean on him, the less stressful my life is. So if you're a basket case today, it's because you're not relying on him. When I say I can do all things through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. When I say that, whose strength am I leaning on? The Lord's. It's not me. It's, it, you know what? God calls you. And when you're obedient, he does all the work. He makes sure stuff happens. What I had a picture of was the people that say, hey, I got this. I got this. No, you don't. He's got this. I've heard others say, and you probably saw this, God is my co-pilot. No, he's not. God is my pilot. Amen. For crying out loud. I wouldn't want it any other way. There are many places in the Bible where God gives a dream, a vision, where he speaks to his people, and he expects them to carry out a specific path that will lead them to a salvation moment in his story. You see, we were created for one thing, to fulfill 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our purpose. One example of what I'm trying to talk about today or, or am alluding to has to do with the Christmas story that we just went through, right? How many can remember a scared little woman who had a visitation from an angel called Gabriel? Imagine, put yourself in her place, even if you're a man. The angel comes and says, Mary, got some news for you. God's going to impregnate you. You're going to have a godchild without being intimate with anybody here on earth. Yeah, 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 okay. Right. You know, she was fearful, as most of us would be. Our minds would run rampant with, what are people going to think? How am I going to explain this? Yeah, I've got God's child in me. Believe me. Sure, right. Luke one twenty nine actually shows where Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered, what kind of greeting is this? And then the angel put her at ease. He said, don't fear. <laughs> You've got God's favor with you as you go through this. And let me say, when God asks you to do something and you've got his favor, it's going to be okay. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through some stuff, as obviously she did. But she was blessed. She was highly favored among men because she was obedient. Now, if God had pointed out what was going to happen to her baby Jesus, that in 33 years or so, he was going to be crucified for all the world, she might not have been as excited or obedient to go through that process. She might have said, nah, nah, pick somebody else, Lord. I don't think I'm the one. God didn't show her the whole picture because he, he didn't want her to worry about that. He just wanted her to know, look, I'm going to do something with you, something supernatural. You're going to be a part of my bigger plan, my history. When God told Mary this whole deal, it was on a need-to-know basis. He only gave her the information she needed. And in the end, it led to his story being accomplished. Sometimes God shows us far-off details, but withholds some of the trials that we might have to face along the way. And he isn't trying to be sneaky he just doesn't want to scare us off too early. When Barb and I had our first vision, and, and it was vivid, we were at a mission service in Lansing, and Pastor David said, if you feel called to missions, I want you to come up here. And I, couldn't, I couldn't even hold myself down. I was ushering that day, and, and I grabbed Barb's hand, and we ran to the altar. I didn't know what it meant. 
And while we stood down there, and again, this was a mission service. He was calling for people who were feeling led to go into the missions field. While we were standing there, God gave us a vision, and we were surrounded by what appeared to us to be little African children pressing in on us in some sort of village. We, I, I can't say any more than that. It didn't really make sense to us at the time, but we knew, we felt that God was saying, I want to do something supernatural with you guys. And we said, yes, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll heed that call. What happened next? The Lord opened the doors for us to go to Bible college. He showed us the next step. And that was it. He didn't show us where we were going to end up. He just said, this is what I want you to do now. And that's what we did. Picked our family up. I quit GM. Moved into a mobile home on campus and spent the next three years hitting the books. God showed us, I'm going to do something with you. And this is what you need to do next. Here's the thing. When God gives us something to do, we should never fear the vision that he has for us. I was nervous to leave General Motors, to leave that cushy job that I had there, making really good money with the best benefits on the planet at the time. I had four boys. They were always getting in trouble, always getting in accidents. We spent a lot of time in the ER. They're boys. Remember when they, one of them threw the other one off the dock and he didn't make it off the dock. He took half his leg off when he scraped the wood on the edge. Well, that vacation went down fast as we spent the next day in the ER. I could have said, oh, that's too big, Lord. I, I, I don't want to do that. that. I can't leave Lansing. I, I can't leave my job. Really? But we were so excited to heed that call, to say yes to God and the vision that he'd given us. We were just silly enough to sell the house or try and move to Springfield. That was an adventure. It really was. But here's the thing. If God calls you to do something, he will provide the means for you to carry that thing out. When God shows us something future tense that he intends to do with us, hear this part. It is often overwhelming in fact, I have a friend that says this. He says, if it isn't overwhelming, that means bigger than anything you can do on your own, then it isn't God. And I also wanted to emphasize here that God won't start you at the most intense level. 
When we went down to that altar that day, my wife and I, in, in obedience, the Lord didn't say, tomorrow you're a missionary. I want you to go to Zimbabwe and reach the children of such and such a tribe. He didn't do that. Why? Because we weren't ready yet. God will prepare you to do whatever it is he's asking you to do, future tense. He will get you ready. In fact, he's getting you ready for that right now, but some of you don't realize it. Whatever he wants you to do, you're already going through his boot camp to get ready for it. For some of you, it's some of the trials and tribulations you've gone through in this life. Some of you have been abused, and God's going to use that abuse somehow, some way, to bring him glory and praise and honor as he uses you to minister to those who have been in that place. You think, why would God let me go through this when his answer is, because I need you to help these people. God guides us through our lifetime. He shows us through little steps how we will do ministry. Here's the thing. We must be faithful with the little steps. Too many Christians remain at step one and they never move on to step two, step three, step four, and so on. The first part of Luke 16.10 says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. This passage in Luke is referring to stewardship, how people handle money, but the principle is there. First steps. You have to take a first step in order to be faithful. And when you are faithful in that first step, and then the second, and then the third, God will add responsibility to you. But you've got to carry out those first steps first. This principle is true in every area of our Christian walk. Trust God and let him take you on a journey that you'll never forget. It'll be life-changing, not only for your life, but for those around you. But it all begins by you taking step one. It's essential. It's necessary. It has to be that way. You can't skip parts when God's trying to use you. You have to go through certain doors first. Why do you think the Israelites went around and around and around and around? Because they wouldn't take that first step. Some of you are rutting in. You want to get out of the rut? Take the first step, whatever it is God's telling you to do. All right, let's go to a, one of the other passages. Genesis 37. I'm going to read verses 5 to 7. Just, just share a little tidbit of this with you. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And by the way, just prior to this scripture, it says that his brothers hated him already because his dad favored him. He was the youngest. How many know the youngest always gets the most attention? I have a younger brother. My mom always dotes over him. Oh, well, no big deal. But in this case, it actually said that the brothers hated him for this. So 
he said to them, listen to this dream. So Joseph's telling his older brothers, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> ah. Now as a young boy, not real wise, Joseph probably handled this information poorly. I don't recommend you do this. If God gives you a vision, test it, pray it through first, share it with a couple of good friends that are scripturally sound, and see what the Lord says through them. But in this case, he just went out and blurted it out. Yep, you're going to bow to me. How did they handle it? <laughs> they did what all self-respecting older brothers would do. They threw the little turkey down into a hole and left him to rot. Now, they wanted to kill him, but they knew that was too severe, so they just got rid of him, hoping he'd never come back. I don't know. But God, God had a plan for him. And his plan wasn't to let that boy rot in a hole in the ground. His plan was that he would help lead a nation when they most needed God's help. When God shared this vision, this dream with Joseph, he didn't share all this stuff. He didn't tell him how he was going to end up in a hole. He didn't tell him how an Egyptian caravan was going to come by and hear him crying out and rescue him from the hole only to throw him into slavery in Egypt. The Lord didn't show him that he was going to end up working for a captain of the guard one of the Pharaoh's captains, he was going to work as his head slave, ruling his house. He pretty much was the ruler of the house, just under Potiphar and his wife. And that was all going really great until Potiphar's wife decided she wanted him, not in a good way. And Joseph said, uh-uh. You can't have it. How would that... I, I, I love my master. I, I respect him. And if you and I do this thing, what would that mean to him? And she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she grabbed onto him one day and he fled. And as he did, she was holding his cloak. And she went to her husband and said, He tried to rape me. Well, who are you going to hear? If you're Potiphar, who are, who are you going to listen to? If it's your wife telling you this, well, she had to be telling me the truth, right? So he had Joseph thrown into prison. If God had showed Joseph when he was a boy that he was going to end up in prison over this thing, I don't know that he would have even wanted to do this. I'd held that information back. And while he was in prison, the favor of the Lord came upon him. And hear this part. 
When you do what God challenges you to do, his favor is going to be on you. It's going to be with you. Your job is to go through those open doors, even if it's a jail cell door, which sometimes it will be. And that's assuming that it wasn't self-inflicted. You know what I'm saying? It was a righteous reason that you ended up there. God's favor will be on you. And while he was there, the warden showed favor on him, and, and he said, hey, you ran this guy's house. I want you to help me run the prison. Who does that? But he did, and he did it well. And while he was running the prison, he ended up having these sets of circumstances. In fact, they were a series of unfortunate events. Anybody ever hear that before? An unfortunate series of events. And while he was there, two men had been introduced to him who were supposed to lose their life eventually. They met this Joseph, and they said to the Pharaoh, hey, you need somebody to interpret your dream? I know the guy. He's in prison. So what did the Pharaoh do? Bring him in to me. And they brought Joseph in, and he told Joseph what his dream was, and Joseph knew what it meant. God's favor was on him. And he said, look, what this means is, is that there's going to be a famine for seven years. We have to prepare for it now. And they did. And the Pharaoh made him the ruler, number two guy in all of the land of Egypt. But he had to go through all this other stuff to get there. His reputation was tarnished. He was abused. He lived in squalor. But in the end, God raised him up to that position he wanted him to have. The place that God showed him he would be. And guess what? He was over his brothers. And they came into his court and they bowed to him. When God gives you something to do, it's going to come to pass. I can get a good amen on that one. I would think, hallelujah. So as we've seen, Mary was shown the beginning stages of what the Lord wanted to do with her, while Joseph was shown the end stage of where the Lord would take him. All the details still had to be worked out, but they both knew the Lord was going to do something special with them. You might think, well, that's great, but I'm not Joseph and I'm not Mary. They were special people. My answer to that is, no, they weren't. They weren't anybody special until God called them. He uses normal people, just like you and me, to carry out his will. There was nothing special about him. My closing scripture today is from Joel, and I'm going to jump off of this next week. Joel 2, 28 and 29. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The afterword that Joel was talking about here was after Peter stood in front of the city of Jerusalem, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. There were tongues of fire, and they spoke in languages they didn't know. After came then, and God poured out his Spirit on the church. And we began what we call the age of grace, where God said, if you will come to me, if you will repent of your sins, if you will accept my work that I did for you on the cross through my son Jesus, I will forgive you, I will cleanse you of all your unrighteousness, and I will make you a new person. The old man will be dead, the new man has come forth, and I will use you in miraculous ways. That's what he wants to do. He will give us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to counsel us, to empower us for acts of service, acts of love, acts of forgiveness. And that's where we're at today. 